0: This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. How you doing over there, Chad? Nearing the end of the school year.
1: Yeah, I think we're down to 21 and a half, 22 and a half days. It's not Ugh. bad. It's close. <laughs> Getting there.
0: Who's, who's more excited? Yeah. You or the kids?
1: Oh, I'm thinking me. That's fair. (laughs) No, probably the kids, to be honest. I don't know. They're kind of crazy. But it's okay. We're going to Six Flags this Friday. Uh, More importantly, I did see Endgame this past weekend at 4 a.m. as advertised. Yes. I was very tired the day after, but the movie was great. And this is who dies. Everybody prepare. no i'm not gonna do it
0: spoilers i haven't seen it yet and i I was supposed to go today and life happened and i didn't go because today is my day off but it's fine
1: no i'm a no spoilers guy everybody you don't have to worry about me i'm not posting on twitter or anything like that so
0: glad it was good i'll see it you know in a month once i've been spoiled on everything
1: well hopefully not (laughs) hopefully not
0: Well, before we get going, we do have a new Apple podcast review from Lizard. Thank you for your review and for uh, spreading the word about the podcast. And moving into our first episode of discussion today, it's Pam's Replacement. It aired November 10th, 2011, directed by Matt Sohn and written by Allison Silverman.
1: As Pam prepares to go on maternity leave, she is training a new temp employee to fill her role as office manager. The temp named Kathy sparks some debate between Jim and Pam as Jim refuses to admit to Pam that he finds Kathy even objectively attractive, and Pam obsessively tries to get him to confess. Meanwhile, Andy, Daryl, and Kevin's jam session in the warehouse is crashed by Robert California, which is awesome, until other people start to show up and take over their instruments.
0: Starting with Kathy. Now, Kathy's real cute (laughs) is the, uh, theme of this episode. Everyone thinks so. It's very obvious, except to Jim. Uh, Jim swears up and down that Kathy's not cute. Now, the reason this comes up is because Ryan asks Pam if Kathy's single. Jim overhears this and says, doubt it. And that kind of puts Pam's little mental flag up and says, why do you you doubt that Kathy's single? I mean, probably because she's attractive, right? And Jim, recognizing that his wife is a bit insecure, given that she's nine months pregnant and pretty emotional, doesn't really want to confess that he thinks that this woman who he has to sit next to in Pam's absence is objectively attractive.
1: I was thinking about this pregnancy versus uh, Pam's first pregnancy, and I think the first one was very focused on her biggest insecurity being the idea of being a mother in general, like we saw in the delivery. Uh, But this time around, it's a lot more to do with uh, body image, Uh, especially when she's being compared directly to Angela, who's pregnant at the same time and is considerably smaller, just because Angela's a a considerably smaller person. Pam has a talking head at the beginning of the episode. She says, oh, I should have mentioned I'm pregnant. You probably didn't notice because it's impossible to tell. I'm so small. (laughs) But yeah, I'm pregnant. So she's sort of throwing shade at Angela there because that's Angela's shtick. So in the midst of... Her hormones making her more emotional than normal, which we saw in the season eight premiere and Angela being a much smaller pregnant woman and rubbing that in her face. And now she's training a young, attractive woman who's going to be replacing her and sitting next to her husband during her maternity leave. Yeah, she's feeling pretty inadequate, pretty unattractive, no matter how she maybe fakes it with her coworkers, who are they're they're sort of trying to tread lightly a little bit with her when they're in the break room. Uh, Toby says, it's going to be nice to have just a healthy, young, fit presence in the middle of the office. And Oscar says, yeah, aesthetically speaking, she adds a nice presence. (laughs) And Pam at first sort of pretends, quote, pretends to be offended and then plays it off. But I think it really does. Maybe maybe it doesn't hurt her a little bit, but she she does feel a little bit insecure about that. Yeah, I'm being replaced by somebody younger and prettier. And so that does turn into her questioning Jim and whether he finds her attractive objectively, even objectively speaking, like you could say, oh yeah, I'm attracted to pers- to a person or this person I just find to be attractive. I think those are slightly different things. Would you agree?
0: Yeah. I think most healthy relationships can say, yeah, I think that person is, attra- is attractive. They're an objectively mm-hmm. attractive person. We all can see that. That's clear. Now being attracted to somebody is totally, is completely different.
1: It's sort of like when you Can observe somebody who is not of the uh, gender that you prefer sexually. Right. Uh, Like, I'm trying to think of the correct way to phrase it without being offensive. (laughs) Right. uh, So, like, I'm not attracted to men, but I can observe when a man is attractive.
0: Right. Right. That's clear. You're not attracted to him, but you understand that he is an attractive person.
1: Right. Right.
0: Now, coincidentally, Jim does think that Kathy is objectively attractive. Is he attracted to her? No. Mm -hmm. He loves his wife. He, I mean, no, he's not attracted to Kathy. But yeah, she's cute. (laughs) He recognizes Mm -hmm. that.
1: But I think that's Pam's issue is that he won't even admit to that much. He won't even admit to it. Right.
0: When it's, when probably all it would have taken is, yeah, she's attractive, but I'm not attracted to her. (laughs) But hindsight. Or even just as
1: simple, (laughs) she's pretty. She's pretty. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like. Yeah,
0: of course. It's so innocent. I know. It's uh, kind of frustrating. But (laughs) Pam recognizes that Dwight might be the only person telling her the truth right now. Everyone else is sort of coddling her. She likens it to treating her like a kid. She says when you're pregnant, everyone loses their sense of boundaries. They start touching you when you don't want to be touched. They treat you like a child. And Dwight is the only person, including Jim, who's kind of coddling her in his own way, Dwight's the only person telling her the truth right now. And so he's honest about Kathy being attractive. He is honest about Pam not being attractive right now. And (laughs) she asks him, hey, Dwight, am I hot right now? And he very rudely but honestly tells her that, of course, she's not hot right now. He can't impregnate Pam. So that's the driving force between male-female attraction, he says. So, of course, I'm not attracted to you. Uh, Pam kind of digs in. She's kind of finding okay, can I trust you with this bit of information I'm about to give you? And so she's kind of chipping away at him. She says, okay, well, was I what was I attractive before? And he gives a, again, detailed and honest in his opinion <laughs> description. He says that she was at her most attractive when she was 24 with a slight gradual decline and then you got pregnant for the first time. That was a steep drop off. You recovered gradually and now you're at an all-time low, of course. So given his harsh honesty, is it's rude, but it's honest, opinion of Pam, she trusts that he, that she can give him this piece of information that she thinks Jim is lying to her. And they sort of team up for the rest of the episode, finding out if this is true.
1: It becomes a weird obsession for Pam when she enlists, quote, Detective Dwight to help her to get Jim to confess. And there's all sorts of shenanigans that have to do with that. Uh, but it sort of culminates in Dwight grabbing Jim by the crotch. <laughs> he she, he asks, Pam, does your husband normally have uh, soft erections? Because if not, then I just grabbed a very soft penis for no reason. <laughs> so there, there's the laughs about it. But then there's a big emotional moment when, from a distance, as she and Dwight are sort of confiding in each other, she sees Jim making Kathy laugh. And as she puts it, laughing a lot. She asks, Why? Is he making her laugh so much? And so at this point, the annoyance with Jim just refusing to say she's even like pretty or to say like even the mildest compliment as to Kathy's looks, it turns into, it, it appears to be jealousy because why is he making her laugh so much? I don't know if she suspects anything. Does she think Jim is attracted to her? Does she think she's attracted to him? They're both attracted to each other. And it just becomes so desperate, a... A, an attempt to get Jim to say anything about Kathy, uh, that she goes through with Dwight's crazy idea, crazy idea in the middle of the workday to go to a pharmacy and to make a homemade lie detector test out of a blood pressure monitor, and it's it's just it's kind of out of character for Pam. It's really weird, I think, but I mean, you can ch- you can chalk a lot of things up to hormones. Uh, I I guess it just really emphasizes how uncomfortable she is by being replaced by someone so young and cute when she herself feels the opposite.
0: And again, if Jim had just said if he had just been honest, assuming he's not covering up for something and assuming he's not actually attracted to her, I I take back what I said earlier that Jim's not attracted to her. We don't we don't know. He never said. He said that he's not gonna tell Pam that he finds Kathy attractive. So they go to this pharmacy and they have Jim take a blood pressure test. And Dwight asks his baseline question, what's your name, to see what his blood pressure normally is when he's not lying. And he asks a few more questions and says, well, you're lying about everything. You're lying about your name because your blood pressure is super high, even when you're answering your name. So clearly you're lying. Turns out, no, Jim just has super high blood pressure. And at that moment, Pam snaps back into reality and says, none of the other stuff from today mattered. Your health matters. Our family matters. You need, you know, and she gets worried about his health and insists that they talk to his doctor. And the problem about Kathy is put to rest. It doesn't matter anymore. Their marriage is what matters and his health and her health. That's the real stuff.
1: Yeah. I'm glad that she's, it sort of clears her head when she sees that, well, one, Jim's father has a history of high blood pressure. And Jim says, well, I don't smoke, but I mean, you still got high blood pressure, man. Uh, and this concern over, uh Kathy goes into concern over Jim always being around instead. And I guess sort of the lesson or the takeaway from this storyline with Jim and Pam is uh, the importance of faith in who you love and in trust that they'll always be there for you. Like, no matter what happens, Jim's in this for the long haul, as he says at the pharmacy. I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime soon. So you just need to trust that I'm going to do what I can to be here for you and for CeCe and for Philip now that Philip's coming. So... It's nice. I do think Jim finds Kathy attractive. I think it'd be silly for anyone to not think that Kathy is pretty, at least. I mean, it's we all fact. have our own individual taste, <laughs> but she she's pretty. Yeah, she is <laughs> and,
0: a standard of beauty that is considered normal. Like, she is pretty.
1: <laughs> right. And I, I do know that the easy answer for us outside the situation to say is you could just say that much. You don't have to commit to anything. You can just say she's pretty. Uh, but I do also kind of admire Jim's willingness to just say nope. I feel nothing about this woman. She is just like a person who is sitting near me, and that's the biggest connection I have to her. In order to preserve any feelings that might be hurt, uh, for Pam, so I-, I admire that a little bit. But I do think the conflict would have gone away had he just been a little bit more, a little bit more honest right off the bat.
0: We also don't see their whole marriage. All things considered, we don't see a lot of her pregnancy hormonal stuff. I mean, we had the beginning of season eight and we have this, but otherwise it's been regular stuff. So maybe this is something that they had dealt with before that we just never saw. I don't know. Maybe Jim knew what he was doing and thought that this was the correct way to handle this. It clearly wasn't today, but I don't know. He, he thought he knew it was best and it backfired for him.
1: And the other big storyline that happens in this episode is with Andy, Daryl, and Kevin. Uh, We've seen a long way back, a couple seasons, that they sort of formed a little band together, a little jam sesh. Uh, Back then, uh, Andy was paying Daryl to play with them on the keyboards, and eventually it turned into them just making music as friends. And it's nice to see here a couple seasons later that that's continuing. They're still enjoying each other's company. And it's framed as... Andy has been trying to be like buddy buddy with Robert California, and every effort he's made to be friends with Robert or to uh, just impress Robert in any capacity has really kind of failed. Even though Dunder Mifflin's doing well, Andy has no personal relationship with Robert. And so he is sticking with the buddies he already has in Daryl and in Kevin and in their band, which Kevin still affectionately refers to as Kevin and the Zits. Uh, And they're having a jam session as friends in the warehouse. And Val, who we met last episode, uh, we actually met her uh, a couple episodes ago in Lotto is her first appearance, Mm -hmm. but uh, Daryl is into her. We know that. We saw that last episode and uh, she's having fun listening to them. She's complimenting them. They sound good. They're having fun. And then Robert shows up and guess what? He plays harmonica and it's super awesome because here Andy was like, well, I'm give up on trying to connect with Robert. And all of a sudden a way to connect with Robert falls into his lap. And so everybody's really excited. They're super psyched to have this sort of quote in with the boss. But then Robert starts bringing in other people and it no longer becomes as cool as they thought it was.
0: Yeah. So Robert invited several of his friends and local musicians to the warehouse and Kevin at first kind of offers, he has some spare instruments, a tambourine, some other uh, percussion instruments, but Daryl suggests, hey, they're our guests, why don't we play the percussion and let these guys on the keys and the drums? And Andy at first sticks on his guitar, but he doesn't know the song that they're playing, and eventually another musician walks in with her own guitar, and he hands over the amp, so now they're back up in their own band. And... (laughs) before too long they're kicked out entirely they're off talking um and the music starts without them and now they're just spectators and yeah as you said val has been enjoying all their music and is super disappointed when they're not kind of standing out for themselves and, and inserting themselves back into their own band and yeah they're they're i don't know if they're respect for robert waynes but they're insulted
1: Well, what's strange is at first they don't realize that they've been shoehorned out of their own group. And they're just like, yeah, I'm happy slapping my body to the side while everybody else plays real instruments. It's it's absurd uh, that they they, they don't see it. But I mean, it is Andy we're talking about. And Val does point out, yeah, uh, what are you doing? (laughs) I mean, your band is starting without you. And so they realize that they weren't even spending time with Robert like they thought this was originally being set up to be, uh, at least not in a way in which he valued them being there and their time together. And they weren't really even hanging out with each other to make music anymore. And so they they split off. They go do their own thing. Uh, there's a really nice scene where uh, Kevin is drumming on a on a bucket and Daryl is singing, uh, harmonizing with Andy, who's playing guitar, and they're singing "Baby I Love Your Way" by Peter Frampton. And it's really nice. It's pure. It's just so them. And the lesson for these guys is that sometimes you're enough. You don't have to add in other people, especially not for like status is sort of what they were trying to do by adding Robert in to gain an extra level with the boss. They didn't need that. They had each other and they've had each other for a while. And, you know, that's enough. And in a way, I think that's kind of a lesson with Pam and Jim, too, is you you guys are enough for each other and you don't have to worry about what's happening outside of that.
0: So moving on into funny moments, now we're going to do something a little slightly different here. We're still going to mention the cold open for every episode, assuming it's a funny moment cold open. And then we're going to stick to, oh, about the top 10 or so funny moments for the episode because it's The Office. It's a comedy. Most of it is funny. (laughs) Um, So in the effort of brevity, we're going to mention our top funny moments. And we encourage you guys to reach out with your funny moments if we didn't mention them either social media or a voicemail. We would love to hear what you guys think. So starting with the cold open, Andy asks Aaron to interrupt a meeting with a client with an important phone call, which of course there isn't. This is very reminiscent of Michael having Pam do the same thing with the post-it note, hand over a post-it note with the Mm -hmm. hiya buddy. We've seen this very early on in the series. Season four. Oh, okay. Maybe it was a little bit later than I thought. So there's no phone call, of course, and Andy will then decline the phone call, making the client feel important. So first, it took Aaron way too long to understand what Andy was planning. She didn't <laughs> understand the ruse here, the trick. And then when she gets it, Aaron takes it way too far. When Andy declines the imaginary call, she insists that he take it and he pushes back. And it kind of works. At first, there is nothing more important to me than this meeting. And the client's kind of impressed by his importance and Aaron says really because your mother is dead <laughs> and Andy navigates this pretty poorly he says this is the kind of thing she pulls all the time haha <laughs> mom you know but Aaron insists this is not one of those times it's the police on the line and the client is just mortified and insists that Andy takes the call so he does and Aaron has planned this whole thing out Daryl is on the other line. Also really mortified that he has to play the part of the cop breaking the news to Andy. And Andy asks if his mom had any last words. And according to him, they were, make sure your client gets the best deal possible. Oh, so that's.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the client catches on at that point. Yeah. And he's just more disturbed than anything that they would go to such lengths to try and impress him.
0: Right. It's highly inappropriate.
1: One of my favorite small things is when we first see the band jamming together in the warehouse. They're they're playing along. They're singing a song. Andy is scatting, and they wrap up the song. And Daryl says, "Man, nice scatting, man." And Andy says, "Thank you." I think I said "dupe" instead of "boop" at one point. <laughs> and we see his piece <laughs> of paper, and Andy, the the dork, has planned out improvisational scatting, which of course means it's not improvisational. But I mean, it's supposed to be.
0: It sounded good until we saw the paper. And I'm I like, said oh, dupe come instead on. of poop. <laughs> so funny. The office and their attempt to kind of make Pam feel better. Well, earlier you had mentioned Pam jokes with everyone that it'll be nice to have someone hot sitting at her desk. And all of a sudden everyone becomes super complimentary of Pam, saying she looks radiant and sexy and all that. And... Gabe mentions that pregnancy is one of the most common fetishes. Of course, you would know that. Gross. Gross. And then they start likening Pam to Helen Mirren. While Helen Mirren is beautiful, I don't think that's who Pam wants to be compared to right now because she already feels not 100% and let's not age her by 40 years. But Toby says, Do you know, it's not just pregnant women who don't get their due. You know, who's gorgeous? Helen Mirren. You know, be the hottest thing ever. A pregnant Helen Mirren. (laughs) And Ugh. Dwight just rips them apart and says, "You know, you're you're idealizing a 66 year old pregnant woman. Look how disgusting that is. There are universal biological standards of beauty and attraction, and you're really just doing all of this to satiate a pregnant woman. And another thing, Helen Mirren was born Helen Miranov. That's right. You're fake salivating over a Soviet era Russian. <laughs> <laughs> He's just disgusted by her."
1: Yeah, I love how no-nonsense Dwight is a lot uh, uh, with a lot of the pregnancy stuff in this episode. He's just like, you're Molly coddling a a pregnant woman. Yeah. Jim, later in the episode, when they're outside the pharmacy, he has a talking head. He says, no, I'm not worried because this lie isn't for me. It's for Pam. And when she gets her body back and her confidence back, yes, I will tell her the truth. That I had feelings for a co-worker today that I haven't had in years. But in my defense, he was grabbing my crotch fairly aggressively at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I try and picture what that would have been like watching that talking head the first I time know. because it does seem kind of similar or like, like, uh, sorry, it does seem kind of like genuine. Like, yeah, I really did have feelings for Kathy today. And like, <gasps> I've had those kind of feelings in a gosh. long time. But then he reveals he's joking, and Dwight just grabbed him in the crotch, and so he's joking about that.
0: (laughs) About how close he felt to Dwight in that moment. Another Dwight one. Uh, Pam goes in for a high five once they've uh, decided that they're going to trick Jim into revealing the truth. And Dwight declines her high five. He says, I never touch a pregnant woman. (laughs) Pam is totally fine with this. She's like, yep, that's the Dwight I need. And Dwight has some rules. He says, if we're going to work together, we need ground rules. Rule number one, our only loyalty is to the truth. Rule two, we stop at nothing. Rule three, don't fall in love. Yep. Pam says, yep, good. I can do
1: that. (laughs) Dwight, talking with Pam and with Kelly at the time, says, the male reveals attraction through unconscious and involuntary physical signs. The puffing of the chest, mirroring, increased blood flow to the crotch. I say we start there. Pam and Kelly say together, with the crotch? He goes, with the crotch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: A really good Dwight episode. I have another Dwight one here. (laughs) I I didn't realize while I was writing these down that they're mostly to do with Dwight. Mm -hmm. When Pam and Dwight are spying on Jim and Kathy, watching for Jim's body language that you just mentioned, Jim and Kathy both start laughing. And when Pam suggests that perhaps Jim just said something funny, maybe that's why they're laughing so hard. (laughs) Dwight says. Jim has no discernible sense of humor, Pam. You should know that. (laughs) When very clearly he's considered the office funny guy, but not to Dwight. Very sincerely not.
1: When they get to the pharmacy, Dwight is mocking Jim. He says, stop shoving me. Stop grabbing my penis. Grow up. (laughs) I don't think he's quite the one that needs to grow up, Dwight. Uh, but then later, after, as Pam is sort of freaking out over Jim's high blood pressure, she says, when was the last time you went to the doctor? Jim says, I don't know. Dwight says, it's important to go every month and get your prostate checked. You can do it at home by yourself with your finger. You just stick it and dip. Pam says, Dwight, stop. No, nope. do, don't do it.
0: <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> there's a great Ryan quote here. So there's a, a small tactic that we didn't mention to out Jim. This was actually Kelly's idea to play the matchmaker test, is what she calls it. So that's where Pam wants to set up Kathy with somebody, and she asks Jim who he would set Kathy up with. If Jim picks somebody hot, someone attractive for Kathy, then he thinks she's attractive. If not, then he doesn't. Jim catches on to this and pairs Kathy with some guy named Mike Tibbetts, who is not exceptionally attractive. He's sort of average looking.
1: It's super milk toast.
0: Super milk toast. And Ryan, who kind of has a crush on Kathy, says, hey, who's this Mike Tibbetts guy? What kind of car does he drive? As if that <laughs> matters. Jim quickly says, well, not his mom's car. And Ryan oh. gets super defensive. He says, yeah, because his mom's car is probably not a Nissan Z. <laughs> touche. Touche. <laughs> Good. You're still driving your mom's car. <laughs> Ryan.
1: Andy says... Did you know that Lisa, Lisa is the guitarist that Robert, Robert California brings in. He says, did you know that Lisa toured with Shaka Khan? And Kevin says, are you serious? From Star Trek? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong Khan. No. Different Khan. No. <laughs> and just since we're, we're on the subject of the musicians Robert Brooks in, there's a, there are actually a couple of cameos. Um, I don't know who the keyboardist is. I don't think it's as big a deal. But the drummer is from a viral video from 2010 called The Mad Drummer, if you look that up. Uh, his name's Steve Moore. And then there's also the guitarist. The guitarist's name is Linda Taylor, and she was a musician on the set of Whose Line Is It Anyways, both in the old series and in the the new rebooted one from the last couple of years. So that's where yeah. they're from. And I just got to say, I love the drum off between Kevin and the, the mad drummer at the very end. Uh, and Kevin is just so proud of his simple stick flips while the other guys go into town. Yeah.
0: He's really going to town. He's, I mean, every beat he's flipping sticks and his hair mm-hmm. is tossing and he's just angry at the drums and Kevin's sort of barely keeping a beat. And <laughs> it's just, he takes a little bow at the end before he throws his sticks at the drums.
1: <laughs> yeah. and that Mad Drummer video that I mentioned, it, it's drumming like that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Kelly really doesn't like Mike Tibbetts, this guy that Jim set Kathy up with. And when they were looking at his picture, first thing she said is, ew. And then halfway into another conversation, they had moved on a little bit. She interrupts and says, I'm going to write something mean on his wall. <laughs> She's, She's just offended by this guy.
1: <laughs> high school mean girl, which yep. I think I think I saw earlier. It's the anniversary of Mean Girls today. Oh, so That's a weird coincidence. That is a weird coincidence. Okay. Uh, it's mentioned that Kathy probably has a boyfriend uh, and everybody's in the break room. Gabe says, He's probably a drug dealer. That's how you get a hot girlfriend. You get her hooked on blow. Didn't know that. (laughs) That's the Gabe solution.
0: That's how you do it.
1: It's probably the only way Gabe can do it. (laughs) My last one is from Creed because I love Creed. Uh, Dwight and Pam are sort of staking things out with Jim and Kathy from Creed's corner of the office. And he says, Dwight says, we're not here. And he hands Creed a Toblerone candy bar, one of the long triangle ones. Creed said, who said that? Dwight says, exactly. Creed said, how'd I get this long triangle?
0: (laughs) It's more than that. It's delicious. It's pretty great. No deleted scenes or commentary for this episode.
1: Yeah. In fact, real quick, I looked and we're done with commentaries. Like there aren't any more for season eight or season nine. So... I mean, there'll be other, other bonus things to talk about. And of course we still have deleted scenes for a lot of episodes for Mm -hmm. most episodes, but the commentaries are gone. So RIP. Yeah.
0: Which we didn't recognize until today. We were Mm -hmm. talking about it off the air and it was like, Oh, okay. I guess we're done with that. Now my discussion topic, we sort of mentioned, we sort of talked about it, but we mentioned that Pam's lack of confidence is what's bothering her. Or is it that she's actually jealous of Kathy because she didn't seem bothered when Dwight was talking about how unattractive she is now. She made this face when he was talking about her, you know, gradual decline, and then her big decline, and then her recovery, and now she's at an all-time low. She didn't seem offended by that. She kind of laughed. She kind of smiled. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I know that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's Dwight being Dwight.
0: Is Dwight being Dwight. What is it, do you think, that's at the root of her anxiety for this episode? Is it Kathy, or is it The fact that she's nine months pregnant and big and doesn't feel attractive anymore.
1: I think it starts off as a lack of confidence a little bit, but also just, I mean, like we said, it's pretty obvious that Kathy is cute, like period, no matter what she's, she's pretty. And for Jim to not admit that much, it bothers her and annoys her. And then when she sees them laughing together, that's when I think it's all of a sudden she's jealous and nervous, maybe a little bit about what the future might bring. Because we know what happens, or (laughs) that's not fair. We know what happened when Jim hung around somebody too much at the office. He grew attracted to her, and now they're married. Now, I don't think Pam honestly thinks that's going to happen with Kathy, but I think, again, it it just goes back to that first issue with her insecurities in her body image uh, that she worries that even just a little bit, Jim is attracted to Kathy, and something might happen. While she's gone, or something might develop while she's gone.
0: Right. I think it's the fact that while Pam is off caring for their two children and recovering from delivering a baby, her husband's going to be sitting next to this 2.0 version. Mm-hmm. And it's just life's tough and she's cute. And I think it's just a culmination of everything. But I agree. I think it started with, with a lack of confidence, but it was really when she noticed that Jim was trying to make Kathy laugh going out of his way to do so that really worried her
1: yeah it's gonna be okay Pam it's gonna be
0: okay (laughs) you're still cute
1: (laughs) okay going into our next episode it is titled Gettysburg it aired on November 17th of 2011 was directed by Jeffrey Blitz and written by Robert Padnick
0: I gotta say I like how you say Gettysburg
1: (laughs) oh yeah Gettysburg (laughs) Gettysburg (laughs) (laughs) we
0: disagree it's fine (laughs) Um, As a motivational device, Andy plans a trip to Gettysburg for the office that isn't met with great excitement. Those who chose not to go on the trip stay at the office and are surprised by a visit from Robert, who wants to hear innovative ideas from the, quote, free thinkers of the office. At the end of the day, everyone, both the Gettysburg crowd and the office crowd, end up disappointed.
1: Starting with the big story point from this episode, which is with Andy and his group at Gettysburg... (laughs) Uh, he compares business to a war so that he can justify an office retreat to Gettysburg, uh, which is the site of the battle with the most casualties in the civil war. And unfortunately for Andy, this analogy is about as well thought out as Michael's analogy of a business being like a ship was back in booze cruise, uh, which is to say it's very thinly thought out. It, It doesn't work very well to Andy's credit. He does do a lot of research to try and make the trip itself worthwhile. He he leads everybody on his own tour rather than listening to a tour guide or getting a guide of some like a pamphlet. Uh, he he decides to walk through this himself, and so he references battalion flags and he reveals that he had a flag commissioned for Dunder Mifflin for two hundred dollars, and it looks like something a middle schooler put together. To be honest, and. Mm-hmm unfortunately for him, nobody with him at Gettysburg is really interested. He only gets half of the office to go with him. And beyond that, the ones who did attend were not remotely interested in his own tour. I mean, even on the way there on the bus, there's there's no excitement for going to a historical site. It's excitement for watching Limitless on the TV on the bus.
0: He's dragging everyone there. I mean... As you said, he couldn't get half the office to agree to go, and the people that did decide to go are just dragging their feet and complaining about everything, and the food's not right, and the movie's not right, and it's hot, and they have to walk, and everything's just not going their way. I have to say, everyone's kind of annoying. (laughs) Yeah. He's really trying. He did do a lot of research, and he made them hats. The hats aren't great, but he made them hats and made them a flag, and he's really... He's really trying, and he's trying to do this whole pride in in their flag, which you know is pride in their team, pride in their company. He tries to start a little game of capture the flag. No one wants to do any of this. They're exhausted. They've been walking. They're hot. They're tapped out, and they decide to head back to the bus without Andy. And his feelings are starting to get really hurt. He's been a pretty good sport about it. He's been the you know party captain. Let's stay going. And at this point fine, you don't want to come. I'm going to go. I'm going to keep walking and I'm not going to look behind me and I'm going to assume that you're all behind me, walking with me. Of course, he does look behind him and they're all still sitting on the ground and he's out of ideas.
1: I mean, I get it that he's upset at everyone's lack of interest or lack of participation and he wanted to inspire them, but it didn't work out. And it takes he he, he takes it out on Jim. Uh, Jim and Daryl eventually show up because they're locked out of the bus and Andy says, our office has a disease. And it goes by many names, sarcasm, snark, wisecracks. You take things people care about and you make them feel lame about it with your jokes. That's what you did with this trip. And he has a little bit of a point. Jim is sort of being snarky or making wisecracks about everything. But that's Jim. Jim points out to Andy at this point. He says, listen, Andy, we appreciate you trying, but business, paper business, Is nothing like anything that anybody experienced here ever in history. There's no comparison. We're a paper company. You're our regional manager, and you don't have to prove anything. We like you as regional regional manager. And if you need further proof, just look at the very pink hat I'm wearing. And I'm pretty sure it has something sexual on it. If you want to know what that means, it's the top result on Urban Dictionary. But you know, at this point we're in episode seven of season eight. Andy has already had his I need to prove myself as manager episodes. And we're past that. Everyone's bought in on Andy as manager. It works. Now, yeah, he's still obnoxious sometimes. Nobody needs him singing closing time 110 times after every day of work, but they like him as manager. And now he just needs to do the job and let everyone else do theirs. It's good that the speech helps Andy from the speech from Jim helps Andy. He admits that he was wrong without this having to like drag out further, without them having to argue about things. He has a monologue on the bus on the way back. He says, the world will little note nor long remember the fight Jim and I had here at Gettysburg. And that's good because I was basically wrong. I wanted my team to be like this army and I was their general, but I guess it's really more like they're just people who work in an office and I'm their manager. Yeah, that's really probably a better analogy now that I think about it. That's not an analogy. That's the way things are. And you just have to sort of accept that. I, it, it's admirable that Andy's trying. He, he was sort of trying to think of his next big idea after the whole butt tattoo thing. But this wasn't the course to take. And now that Jim has helped him to realize that, it's just move on with life. Do your job. You
0: put into words what I was struggling to put into words. Uh, why I was so frustrated with Andy. I mean, with everyone this episode, but specifically yeah. with Andy. You've already done this. You've already yeah. earned their trust. You've already proven yourself. Stop trying, just do it. Mm-hmm. Just do the job. Right. Pretty much every episode so far has been Andy needing approval. And it's mm-hmm. tiring and it's time to stop.
1: <laughs> right. And and that's not like a writing fault. So we're not we're not no. the writers here. This is Andy. This is Andy. Like if if Andy was a person, this would be Andy's issue because that's been Andy's issue the entire course of the series and it's an issue of Andy's life because we've seen his parents yeah. he's always seeking approval and so Andy is still just trying to get past this mindset of feeling like he needs to get everybody around him he needs to get their approval and it's it's just taking him time to get to that point point. and hopefully this episode is a step in that direction for him
0: now Dwight on this trip has a whole other struggle he's actually one of the few people very interested in this trip but for other reasons Historically, Gettysburg is the most northern battle of the Civil War, but Dwight disagrees with that. He says that there is actually a lesser-known and further north battle, the Battle of Schrute Farms. Convenient that he—not even convenient, but interesting that he is Dwight Schrute of Shroot Farms. (laughs) He says that the Civil War industry, quote-unquote, you know, that Civil War industry, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, has conveniently forgotten about this battle. And he says, whatever, I'm over it. It's just grossly irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> Sarcasm. But there's this battle that's supposed to be super bloodier. It's bloodier than Gettysburg. And he takes so much pride in that. And why don't people recognize this battle that is so important? And he's convincing Aaron of this and Oscar overhears and just gets mad. He's like, Aaron is impressionable. Aaron doesn't know any better, which, ouch. <laughs> True, but ouch. Um, and she, I mean, whatever. So <laughs> that's a whole other thing. But I mean, the
1: point, the point is proven in the scene where she flip flops between their just, opinions. She <laughs> just
0: she sides <laughs> with girl. whoever's winning. Yeah. um And Oscar says, "No, I mean, we are at Gettysburg with historians. I think that they would know." And Dwight claims that he knew better. So Oscar finds a he finds an archivist who works at Gettysburg and figures that they can ask their questions to this archivist, and that will end their debate. Unfortunately for Oscar, this archivist has heard of the Battle of Shrute Farms. Now, unfortunately for Dwight, it's not at all as he described. It was actually not a bloody battle at all. It was not even a battle at all. It was a cover for a pacifist's retreat sort of as it were a haven in the middle of this war for gentle-hearted men to rest play and relax and the video about it quotes it as an underground railroad for the sensitive and fabulous um, <laughs> just it was for the people who didn't want to fight and they wanted to have a little renaissance in the middle of pennsylvania and yeah. <laughs> that's what they
1: did and dwight uh it says i've heard enough of this and the whole time oscar's like wow this is so much better than the story you made up <laughs> <laughs> he says you're right there should be a monument to this because this is like oscar's kind of place if he yeah. was around in the civil war oh that's funny
0: that's great great line great storyline
1: now the last big thing that happens character wise in this episode is really just a whole bunch of funny moments but whatever we'll include in character stuff robert shows up after Andy and half of the office have left and he was going to discuss business ideas with Andy, he says, well, what I have here is perhaps better than discussing business ideas with Andy. I can pick all of your brains instead. He says, I want you all to brainstorm innovative ideas and you're going to present them later. Game changers, he calls them. Ryan goes on this long tirade about origami and it being the sushi of paper because sushi was something that didn't sound like it had a whole lot of appeal, but now it's a huge food item for a lot of people in the United States. And so they can be that for origami. It's a sushi of paper. And
0: they're both from Japan.
1: They're both from Japan. And Robert (laughs) puts that down. Stanley introduces paper, P-A-P-Y-R, which is for women. It is pink and it is scented and it is silky soft. And nope, Not okay with Robert either. Not working.
0: That's why I type my notes on the computer, because I can't handle that roughness of
1: paper. Yeah, it's so so hard, (laughs) so sharp. Uh, Pam starts to suggest putting coupons on the back of testing booklets at schools. And then she says, you know, as I'm saying it now, I hate it. And she reveals, yeah, I basically have senioritis right now because I am very late in my pregnancy. And then Kevin comes up. And he starts talking about vending machines, as is, I'm sure, one of his favorite pastimes. He says they put the chocolate chip cookies in A1 because they think that's where the best cookie should go. But really, D4 is the best spot because that's where the eyes go. And Robert completely thinks that Kevin is talking about something beyond just cookies and vending machines. And he says, hmm, who else agrees with Kevin that we're wasting facilities, manpower? on our underselling products when we should be pushing our top performers. And everybody just looks around like, WTF? (laughs) I I guess I do a little (laughs) bit. Sure. I don't want to disagree with Robert, but I don't think that's what Kevin was saying. Ryan has a talking head at this point. He says, okay, we're now on a planet where Kevin is the most creative person around. And I am just some good looking guy. Sure, Ryan, that's all you are is some good looking guy. And this continues and sort of just snowballs a little bit. And it's preposterous that Robert thinks something of Kevin here.
0: And Kevin then gets into chocolate chip cookies versus oatmeal cookies. What, you know, no one wants oatmeal cookies. Why do we even sell them? And Robert misunderstands that too. Okay, what is Dunder Mifflin's oatmeal cookie? What is the product we're selling that no one wants? (laughs) And... Stanley suggests it's this two-punch letter paper. No one buys it. Robert agrees that that is the oatmeal cookie. And Stanley's pleased. Oh, I did something right. But Robert still gives the credit to Kevin, (laughs) who is still thoroughly confused that he's... It's all very confusing. And eventually, Ryan tricks Kevin into outing himself that it really was all about cookies the whole time, and Robert is just sorely disappointed. He really believed that Kevin was onto some brilliant idea about Manufacturing and manpower and corporate yeah. America, and it was about cookies.
1: Yeah, there's a deleted scene that hints at exactly how highly Robert was thinking of Kevin until that yeah came crashing down for him. Uh, we could talk about that in the funny moments as well. Uh, well, I guess we're ready for a funny moments, so why not we use that as a transition uh, before we get into the cold open? So, since we were just talking about it, the way Ryan entraps Kevin is he walks in on Kevin and Robert talking together. And Ryan says, I hate to interrupt, but Robert, I would love to pitch you one last idea. I call it the Big Mac idea. Kevin says, What? No. And Robert says, Big Mac idea. That sounds encouraging. Ryan says, It's really, really good, Robert. Let me explain. And Kevin says, No, this is not fair. This is my idea. He's trying to steal it because he's jealous of me. And so Robert says, Okay, tell me the idea. Kevin says, Every time you buy a Big Mac, you set one ingredient aside. Then at the end of the week, you have a free Big Mac and you love it even more because you made it with your own hands. (laughs) And Ryan patting himself on the back, patting Kevin on the back says, you know what? Now I remember that was your idea. That is 100% your idea. (laughs) And you see the glass shattering before Robert's eyes, The, the rose colored glasses are gone. Oh my, it was just actually cookies the whole time. And Kevin's like, Yeah, that's what i was saying. And he's just like smiling. Yeah, that's what, yeah, cookies. (laughs) My favorite part about that is that Kevin says at the end of the week, you have a free Big Mac. So this is insinuating that you go to McDonald's every single day for a Big Mac only to then have another Big Mac at the end of the week.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and that at one point you're eating a Big Mac without the meat or something. Yeah, at some point. (laughs)
1: I'll go ahead and mention the cold open as well. Pam is, well, they're all in a meeting and Pam decides to fake going into labor to get out of the meeting because it's Gabe presenting corporate stuff that nobody cares about. And so we get a montage where Pam says, you know, we know it's wrong to fake going into labor to get out of things, but it happens. And so there's this montage of her using that excuse, including once when uh, she gets out of talking with Ryan about the three reasons why she's wrong about True Blood, and she she takes a sip of her drink, and just says, I, I, "I'm going into labor. Like, I'm not interested in this conversation. I'm in labor. Believe me." But in this circumstance, getting out of the the meeting, she's already done this at so many points that nobody believes her, and they they say she's crying wolf. But what's funny is that she had the foresight to realize that they would think, after all this time, that she was faking it. And so she put a water bottle under her dress and used it to fake her water breaking. I'm actually going into labor. And so she's waddling out of the office and everybody's cheering and everybody's like, wow, I can't believe I didn't believe her. And then the water bottle drops and falls on the floor. And she just looks up at the camera and says, false alarm. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the end of that. <laughs> it is kind of awful, though, that they'd used this excuse so many times. It's It's not cool.
0: But the water bottle is pretty
1: funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's just funny that she planned ahead that much. Like, yeah, they're probably not going to believe me this time, so I really need to sell it.
0: Yeah. Now, you mentioned paper from Stanley, the the woman's pink-scented, silky-soft paper. Robert says, The situation you described, returning home to a wife, complaining about her paper being too masculine, is not one I'm familiar with. Stanley's trying to kind of save himself. He says... Well, in the African-American community, Robert says, no.
1: No. (laughs)
0: Stanley thought, oh, worth a try.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Uh, When Robert first shows up, he removes his glasses to put on sunglasses indoors. And it's right when he says, don't be afraid to get weird with it. And he puts on his (laughs) sunshades. It's like, no, Robert, why why? And then when Ryan presents his origami, the sushi of paper idea, he says, this idea hasn't gripped me. What else did you come up with? Ryan says, well, I had to memorize the presentation, Robert, and it took a long time to build the swan. So Robert says, that was bad. <laughs> that was I bad. just love, he, he he's not entertaining any notions from Ryan. It is no nonsense. That was bad, Ryan. Was
0: bad. <laughs> I like how Ryan is just confident enough to sass Robert. He's like, well, I had to memorize the presentation, Robert. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> calm down. It's not that long. <laughs> Andy has prepared meals for the trip to Gettysburg, and he's asking if anyone is kosher or halal. By the way, I think he would know at this point the co-workers he's worked with for years, if anybody was kosher or halal. But Ryan's curious as to what the halal option is, just in case it's better and he wants it. Andy says it's dates, tabbouleh, and a bagel with cream cheese. Ryan doesn't want that, so he says out. Andy says, you know, it's the same as the kosher option. There's a lesson in there.
1: <laughs> ah, we all eat the same things.
0: World peace.
1: <laughs> Andy solved it. At Gettysburg, Andy says, Let's talk about food for a second. Food for thought. And Jim says, Yeah, that's what I had for breakfast. And I think that's probably why I'm still hungry <laughs> because they left all the food on the buses. And so they're walking around on this long hike through Gettysburg and they don't have any food.
0: Although Phyllis had a big breakfast. She says she's exhausted, she doesn't want to walk anymore, and she probably shouldn't. All she's had for breakfast was oatmeal, yogurt, coffee, orange juice, and toast. Two poached eggs, and then half a sandwich on the bus. (laughs) She kind of stops halfway through. You know, coffee, orange juice, and toast. Two poached eggs.
1: She just, (laughs) just like
0: she forgot about the rest of her giant breakfast.
1: That's all I had. (laughs) Kevin... Uh, obviously has a lot of funny stuff happening for him this episode. Uh, The first thing is when he's first brainstorming his ideas for the, the game changer, we see a list. He, what we see him use first, a prototype. It's a stapler with a marker taped to it. And he's trying to fill out a form while he's stapling it. And it's a bad idea. And he crosses it out on his list. Other things on this list include marker phone. Also phone marker. And then stairs man. Don't know what Mm -hmm. that is. And then we can't really see the one on the bottom. It says human lady. And I think it maybe says chair. Chair. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Human lady chair. I don't (laughs) know what he's trying to accomplish here, but uh, phone marker was a no.
0: But it's gotta be a human lady.
1: (laughs) Yeah, human lady. Must be human. And then I think maybe the Kevin line that actually makes me laugh the most in this episode, him and Robert are talking like, drinking coffee together robert says and why is BlackRock suddenly the paragon by which all hedge funds must now be compared kevin says i i don't know right robert says right i mean you're an accountant those bogus prospectuses must drive you insane kevin says yes i am an accountant <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you you said one correct thing there that i understood <laughs> i am an
0: accountant <laughs> phyllis this might be the most phyllis line i've ever heard i love it so much when they're on the bus and uh, Andy wants them to watch that historical documentary or whatever, Daryl says, you know, I just got limitless on my iPad, I bet I could get on the TV. Phyllis says, Oh, isn't that the one where the guy becomes limitless? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, spoiled the whole movie.
1: <laughs> you said the the Phyllis or the the most Phyllis line of all time, and I automatically knew what line you were gonna be quoting. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's
0: like, yeah, hon. <laughs> Sure is.
1: (laughs) And Gabe also tells us the French title, which translates to Man with Many Capabilities. The Man with Many
0: Capabilities, yes. Speaking of Gabe, there is a wonderful plot line here where he has this chronic theme, this chronic issue, where whenever he goes to historical sites or museums, he is always mistaken for Abraham Lincoln, and he's not wrong. I mean, a kid taps him on the shoulder. Well, not the shoulder. He's very tall. Taps him <laughs> and asks if he's a Lincoln. And he seems kind of annoyed by it, but he puts on, he he does the thing and he poses for pictures and whatever. And he puts on this kid's hat. He, the kid, The kid has a Lincoln hat. But they happen to be standing on the stage of a little amphitheater. And so the audience thinks that the Lincoln show is about to start. And at first, Gabe tries to correct them, but they laugh as if it's part of the show, and now Gabe is just sort of playing along, and he's got this whole presentation prepared. It's probably like a half-hour thing, and the audience loves it. At the end, when he's talking about how Lincoln died, kids are shouting out and participating, and he's met with a standing ovation at the end, and... (laughs) It's honestly one of Gabe's most likable moments for me in the entire series. I love
1: this. Yeah, probably. And it harkens back to an old deleted scene. I don't remember exactly when it came up, but he said he played Ichabod Crane a few times in school Mm -hmm. plays, and he played Lincoln once in a play in 11th grade. So it's flashing back to something that didn't make it to the the final cut of the show, but we uh, have specifically referenced it in talking about the deleted scenes before. So we got to see him bring some of that experience back to the forefront. Uh, Speaking of deleted scenes, we'll go through all of the deleted scenes because that's what we do. Uh, Andy shows up for work and he like moonwalks in front of reception and he sort of sings Beat It by Michael Jackson, except incorrectly, they might have been trying to avoid copyright stuff, but still, it's not Beat It. And Aaron says, okay, well, you got a message. Dillinger Graphics called to say that their shipment is late. And he says, well, what did you tell them? She says, I didn't tell him anything. He says, well, what would you tell them? And she says, that it'll be the first shipment out today. He says, that is exactly the right thing to say. Do it. Go get her done. And then he goes over to Phyllis. And he says, you just married Joe Order. Your new name is Phyllis Order. Get it? And he hands her an order to be filled. Then he says to Jim, in regards to our high five scheduled at 4 p.m. today, it's been moved up to now. And so they high five. And Jim tells his camera as he walks away, we didn't have one scheduled. <laughs> that, that was fabricated.
0: But okay. And then sort of an extension of that scene, I don't know, they kind of cut away, but it wasn't, it's the same scene, I think. Andy tells Jim that he's prepared a special lunch for him for the trip. Guess what kind of sandwich? Jim guesses, that's oh, probably tuna. And he says, correct, tuna of the land. <laughs> Turkey with pesto, which is the same sandwich he's prepared for everyone. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Uh, not special.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and not tuna.
0: <laughs> and not tuna. <laughs>
1: In that same deleted scene, Kelly says, isn't Gettysburg like three hours away? And Aaron says, no, it's like two hours and 46 minutes. (laughs) Big difference there. Thank you, Aaron, for the clarification. Anyways, uh, Jim has a talking head. He says, you know, I've never been to Gettysburg. I was going to go with my family once, but my brothers convinced me that it was full of dead soldier zombies. So we turned around and we went home. But he says, now I'm older and I cannot run a zombie. (laughs) (laughs) Where well, that talking He's head like, started, no. I wasn't sure exactly the direction he was going to go. Being a Philadelphia or a Pennsylvania local, I thought it might have been like a joke about how, yeah, I've never been to Gettysburg except for the twenty field trips I took in mm, public right. schools. I don't know. I, it didn't like go exactly the way I thought
0: that he had been. Yeah, yeah. Andy runs through his checklist for the day. Now this one confused me big time. I don't understand this deleted scene. He says, "Getting everyone on the bus, check. Giving everyone hats, check." Sexiest Eastern European girls? Check. Okay, do you have any idea what that was in reference to? Because that went totally over my head.
1: I don't know if it was a reference to anything. I think it might have just been like a a joke about it being a party bus or something. Okay. in any case, it it was just like out of place. Super out of place, yeah. When they get to Gettysburg, Daryl says, Man, so incredible. Such a beautiful place could have seen so much pain. And he says, You don't know what you're talking about. You're not appreciating it in the right context. I just wrote in my notes. Uh huh. because Civil War. Yep. Daryl Daryl I <laughs> I think he understands a little bit more than you do the stakes of what happened here.
0: Yeah. Andy and his um view on life is a little bit different than most people's. He's very <laughs> privileged. Just just a little bit. And then later in that scene, we cut to Gabe, who seems very unsettled by the amount of children there. He says, what's up with all the kids? Isn't it a school day? And then immediately after that, a father and son ask Gabe for a picture. (laughs) Because, of course, yeah, Abe Lincoln. Because Abe Lincoln, yeah.
1: We get another extension of my favorite Kevin line. Uh, Robert says, the problem is the hedge fund is essentially a coward's game. You're hedging your bets. Well, I suppose you see right through the numbers. Sometimes I wish I'd taken your road, Kevin, just taken a few years to just live in the numbers. And Kevin says, yeah, I do the numbers. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much. Yeah.
0: And let's remember that Kevin was applying for a job in the warehouse and Michael hired yeah. him as an accountant.
1: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. It a good, good callback. <laughs> He's
0: barely an accountant. On their walk, Daryl points out that the devil's den, which is where the snipers hid, is not far and he wants to go. Andy says that everyone goes there. It's like the Olive Garden of Gettysburg. When people comment that they like Olive Garden, he says, well, I meant that in a bad way. Obviously, it tastes good, but it's not cool. I'll be showing you where all the cool kids go at Gettysburg. Dwight chimes in, I know what you're all thinking. Let's go pee on the graves of some Confederate soldiers. But it only makes the flowers grow back more beautifully. And then there's a Dwight talking head. Best thing you can do for the deceased is to pee on their graves. Then you dance and work the urine into the root systems. Doesn't hurt to have a smile on your face either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> those shrewd's those always did have odd traditions. Just, yeah.
1: <laughs> After they have left Andy, they go back to the bus and Oscar says, guys, over here, we found the bus. Phil says, open the door, Jim. Jim says, it's locked. Phil says, are you sure? So she tries. Yeah, it's locked. And Dwight says, it's not locked. Give me that. And so he tries too. Jib says, "That's weird. If it's not locked, why isn't it opening?" Dwight struggles to find an answer. He says, "It's, uh, it's latched closed,
0: <laughs> or you know, locked." Or
1: locked. <laughs> so, yeah. Jib says, "Okay, you know what? Andy probably has a number for this guy. I'm gonna find him." Daryl says, "I'll come with you." And Phyllis like collapses against the side of the bus, and she goes, "Ow, Oh, I sat on my sandwich. And Oscar <laughs> says, "And that's how the panini press was invented." <laughs> Office Quotes has a typo. I almost said the wrong oh. thing. Office Quotes said printing press, but it's definitely panini oh, press.
0: it's definitely panini press. Robert is typing up a memo because he wants to share Kevin's ideas with the board, and he wants Kevin's help. As the pair walk across the room, the entire office stares in total confusion as <laughs> to how Kevin is getting this much attention and credit. And then Kevin has a talking head. For some reason, my boss is obsessed with cookies. It's not my specialty. My specialty is pizza. But I'm flexible.
1: (laughs) Same, Kevin. (laughs) Bring it on. (laughs) Love it. And then the last deleted scene, they are leaving Gettysburg on the bus. And Andy says, all right, everyone, if you can tell me one of the lessons of Gettysburg, then we can watch Source Code. And they pause for a second. Nobody raises their hands until Erin does. And she says, always believe in yourself. And he's like, oh, not really. He doesn't really know whether to accept that as an answer or correct answer, at least, or not. And he says, okay, yes, good enough. Good enough. And everyone cheers as they put on source code. (laughs) The important things. Mm -hmm. Well, our discussion topic for this episode, uh, something fun. Uh, we, We haven't done like a fun theoretical hypothetical discussion topic in a while. So I'm asking, Katie, what is your game changer?
0: Okay, now I have two. One is actually totally practical and doable, and one is extremely impractical, but a great (laughs) idea. Okay. Practical one. Cereal bags that have Ziploc closures. Mm. Because that would make so much more sense than one person destroying the bag of cereal for everyone. Impractical, but would save lives, Chad. (laughs) Slightly heated roads. yeah, For winter.
1: Yeah, especially in places like New York.
0: Yeah, where like you could do like a solar power thing. It would never work, but it would save lives.
1: <laughs> yeah, or in Texas where it, it like dusts the ground and society collapses.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Good idea. Thank you. I What's like yours? That?
1: Okay, my game changer is topical for what we're doing right now. I would love to push a button after we finish recording and boom, it's edited. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. And, and it, it edits exactly the way I want it to. I can set all the parameters and it cuts out all the ums and the uhs and mm-hmm. it shortens pauses and takes out stutters. Oh, it'd, it'd be glorious. And it takes like two seconds. <laughs> but uh, it's that's fantastical thinking.
0: Now, unfortunately for Chad, uh, his co-host has <gasps> the most... I can't speak half the time. It's a problem. <laughs> um, so he has a lot of work cut out for him and I apologize. It's okay.
1: I I, I actually enjoy it. It just takes a while.
0: It, Yeah. I'm a commitment, Chad. (laughs) (laughs) You knew what you were getting into. And with that, that brings us to the end of our official 86th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. You can rate, review, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to email us feedback or ideas, you can do so at workplacepod at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail to be heard on the show, keep it short and sweet and under a minute. You can call us at 93 Press day that is 937-738-9329. And since we're changing a little bit the way that we're handling the funny moments on the show, if you have a favorite funny moment from an episode that we didn't mention, be sure and leave a voicemail about it. We'd love to hear what you think. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash
1: And you can find me on Twitter at chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And my other podcast is Cinescope, which you can find where other podcasts can be found, and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And show notes and all contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com.
0: If you want a shout-out and more of An American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams, check out our Patreon page and and pick the support level you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplacepod. That is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 86 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 87 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season 8, Mrs. California, and Christmas wishes. Goodbye.
1: Bye.
0: You knew well, what you were getting that, into. <laughs> uh,
1: and well, with, with that, that you got it. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's York sign-off.
0: Okay. Let me try that again. <laughs> I don't
1: don't like that.